Welcome to The Gathering Place, a Blessed is She podcast. We're so glad you're here. Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Beth? Hey, Jenna. How you doing? I just started talking so you would stop looking at this so I could look at it. Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah, because I love it so much. I was lost in a moment. Can you tell the people about this book? The book is called The Selected Poetry of Jessica Powers. But her religious name is Sister Miriam of the Holy Spirit. She's a Carmelite nun who is... A discalced. I still don't know what it means. I think you're right. Me either. Oh, Does it mean shoeless? Denoting or belonging to one of several strict orders of Catholic friars or nuns who go barefoot or only wear sandals. What? Yeah. I was just reading about that the other day. I had no idea that's what that meant. I thought it meant like we're not as intense, but they're actually more <laughs> intense. The, actually the opposite. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If I were to be a Carmelite, I would prefer to be the shoeless kind. <laughs> not me. No, <laughs> thank you. It's hard enough. So Jenna fell in love with this book. I mean, you have a poetry heart. Well, like, it was gifted to me. I don't think I knew that. From Claire. I knew that was the source of it. I knew she's the she, one who introduced you to it. She but gave didn't... it to me. Wow. Claire is uh, one of the facilitators for the Well Mentorship. Tell the people about the Well. Just what a it, shortened version. Yeah, the Well Mentorship program is eight weeks with nine other women and a facilitator diving into intimacy and identity with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Claire Dwyer and Megan Helmstead are two of... Uh, the facilitators, along with me. So Claire gave you this book? She did. I was reading this poem this morning. But sadly, no bookmark. So we just got to wait for Beth to flip, flip, flip through it. It's on the left-hand side of the page. Okay, this one's called This Trackless Solitude. Deep in the soul the acres lie of virgin lands of sacred wood, where waits the spirit. Each soul bears this trackless solitude. The voice invites, implores in vain, the fearful and the unaware. But she who heeds and enters in finds ultimate wisdom there. The spirit lights the way for her, bramble and brush are pushed apart. He lures her into wilderness, but to rejoice her heart. Beneath the glistening foliage, the fruit of love hangs always near. The one immortal fruit he is, or tasted, he is here. Love leads and she surrenders to his will, his waylessness of grace. She speaks no word save his, nor moves until he marks the place. Hence all her paths are mystery, presaging a divine unknown. Her only light is in the creed that she is not alone. The soul that wanders, spirit-led, becomes in his transforming shade, the secret that she was in God before the world was made. Isn't she insane? That's crazy. Okay, can I tell you what I initially loved about this one? Yeah. Minus that, like, it's talking about surrender now, and that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. (laughs) But when I originally read it, I just love this idea of us becoming the women that he had always made us to be. Totally. So like the world and our lives and circumstances and things that have been done to us, things that we have done have almost made like a facade or um, we aren't clear anymore. Yeah. 
And the closer we get to the Lord, the more he purifies us, brushes away every stain of sin, anything Mm -hmm. that's like on us, the more he cleans us off the more clear we become at the women that he created us to be. And it's like so exciting to me. Even just that, that description of like our identity and like the uniqueness of our personhood, she calls the secret that she was in God before the world was made. Like we're a secret even to ourselves. Totally. And so we're revealed even to ourselves as he reveals us to the world. Yeah. And we're revealed in him. Yeah, it's so beautiful. So I basically carried this book and my Bible in my purse all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Because whenever I have prayer, inevitably, I just want to read her poetry because I think what I've enjoyed so much about her writing is that it just draws me into the mystery of what I have experienced in prayer, but I've never had the words for. I'm so often like really... I'm like quieted by her words. Yeah. You know, there's like a reverence there. You're entering into the mystery itself when you read her words. And it's just so clearly a fruit of her own interior life, her own prayer. And we really get to like feast on it, you know? Yeah. In the last episode, we talked about surrender and specifically how that theme unfolded in our lives in 2021 and through the fly retreat and how much we're learning and how much we still have to learn that actually when we finished recording, we had a very beautiful conversation about surrender in an, in a new way, mm. things that we hadn't seen before. So friends, welcome to surrender part two. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important for me as someone who struggles with articulating myself well, that this isn't just these like heavenly ideas, but that the Lord became human and lived a life of humanity and that these really beautiful eternal truths apply to our everyday lives. Yes. Because that's what happened when he came down. I think you're on to something. I think there are a lot of people for whom faith is uh, institutional or cultural, even people who are practicing, who go to church and and read books on spirituality or the saints. But there's a disconnect when it comes to their own life and their own situation. Like there's an appreciation for this religious language or for these ideas, but no real understanding of how to apply. Like they believe. Yes. I've been in this position. I believe that thing, but what does that actually look and feel like? Mm -hmm where I am today and with the problems that I have and the family that I have and the desires that I have, what a surrender. How is that lived out for me now? Right. Yeah. And so just as we were talking last episode, I just have experienced so much of in our friendship, recognizing and really appreciating the trust that you have in the Lord when it comes to your vocation and what he has in store for you. I think just in my own other relationships with other single women, seeing kind of a either like a resignation and a hopelessness yeah. of what's to come in the future. Yeah. So I guess what I would like to talk about or like unpack is the hopelessness part. Mm. 
that I think the majority of people have about various things in their lives. Yeah. Um, this is just one example of it, but I think hopelessness is real for a lot of people, uh, whether it be about marriage, about your future vocation or. Yeah. I think we felt like there was just more to say about that distinction between surrender and resignation. I wonder if the, what we're missing or, or what sets them apart is hope Yeah, that you could, as, as you just described, kind of capture the experience of resignation of giving up as hopelessness. Yeah. Whereas surrender, I think has a lot to do with hope. I think it's what sets it apart. What saves you from resignation is hope. How did you get there? Well, I think I have had, <laughs> I've had the privilege in a way of a long time to learn mm. it. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, that's what makes it so hard, right? Totally. Waiting so long. But I think also it's given me more time. Like the Lord has been so patient with me because I haven't always felt hopeful in my surrender. I have maybe more leaned <laughs> toward the like, I wouldn't have called it resignation. For me, a real temptation was like cutting it off, mm. like amputating the desire. That would be like even wow. the image I would use in prayer. So I'd been watching this PBS period piece called Cranford. You know, there's not a lot of drama in those. I'd never seen a PBS special. Okay. You know, there's not a lot of drama. I've seen Daniel in those. Tiger. Different, <laughs> a little different, but actually kind of wholesome in the same way. Anyway, on this episode of Cranford, I don't know, some guy was fixing his roof or something and he fell off the ladder and he broke his arm. And so they went and got, you know, the town doctor. He said, there's no way, like, we can save this arm. We have to we have to cut it off. We have to amputate it. But there was a new young doctor in town. And they, of course, were nervous about this amputation. And so the wife consults this renegade young doctor, you know. And his second opinion is like, no, I can like save the arm. I can splint the arm, whatever. It's been many years, so I don't remember all the dialogue perfectly. But I remember being in prayer one day, not thinking about Cranford. I don't even know that I was praying specifically about my vocation, my desire to be married. But I, I had that scene in my mind of the guy. I can see it right now. The guy like laying on the ground and like rolling in pain and a broken arm. And the Lord said to me, why would you amputate it if I can fix it? Mm -hmm. Just led to kind of more of a conversation, a, a longer conversation about when we anesthetize or amputate parts of our heart, we can't do that in isolation, that our desires and our like livelihood almost, it can't be selectively numbed or cut off. It affects the whole part. It affects my whole heart. Yeah. So for me to shut down the desire for love in my vocation and to deny that expression and to like shame myself or repress it means ultimately that every relationship I have, every experience of love in my life suffers mm. because I'm refusing to acknowledge my own heart. And I'm in a way like punishing my own heart for having its desire. Yeah. So I just have over time brought different aspects of that longing to the Lord. And there's certainly been seasons where I've been more tempted to shut down, but in a way, by God's grace, my 
desire was always strong, you know, and he's purified it over time. Again, I just keep coming back to this special secret ingredient of time. Mm. He just lets me mature over time. Yeah. He loosens my hands, clenching this idea or person over time. Wow. It's never a forceful kind of like, give me that thing and give it to me now. You know, it's not like that. It's interesting sitting here today telling you that because the very thing that I think has been a mercy, which is time, has also been the most painful part. You know, like how long it's taken. But thank God for that time. For me, and I'm thinking about what you said about the way different women approach being single and, and waiting. And it is so personal. Yeah. Like your story, your soul, of course your vocation are going to be so beautifully precious and unique. So it makes sense that for someone, for like some heart, God would say it's important that you put yourself out there, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's so the Lord. And for someone like me, for the Lord to say, I just, I want you all to myself. Like I, I need to win over a lot here. Yeah. And I really can't, like, I don't want to compete because I don't want you to lose sight of me. Well, that was, that's my path. And for a, a married woman who met the love of her life in her early 20s, you know, or in high school, God reveals his love and purifies your heart, her heart in the sacrament of marriage. It's just because of God's generous, <laughs> intimate love of each one of us. And I think it's important to begin to see your story and your experience of life mm. from that privileged place of, of God tailor-making mm. your story, yeah. especially when it comes to your vocation, because it's so easy to look around, so easy to get on Instagram. And I know that's a thing that people say all the time, but it's a temptation for me regularly to look at someone with six or seven or eight kids, someone who's my age, someone who's younger than me, and to to think, like, I'll never catch up. Like, I, I should be there, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that's how old I am. My life should look like that. And to lose sight of this, like, beautiful, mysterious, I hate to even use that word because it sounds sort of like I'm just dismissing, you know? Mm. Just like, well, it's a mystery, but it is. It's like a profound beautiful that like for me captures the gratitude of it Mm -hmm. it's a total mystery to me well it goes back to what jessica said too Mm. it's like this uncovering of who you are your story yeah that is like you said Mm tailor-made it's so beautiful it's so funny you know as you share that i think each one of us is thinking about those things in our lives that we'd like to amputate (laughs) you know i think most people are thinking of their own story or their own struggle with that. And I can feel that so viscerally in my body Yeah, when Mike was struggling really bad with anxiety and I very much had like amputated mm. him from my heart because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be hurt anymore by his uh, lack of presence, by his um, struggle. I didn't want to be hurt anymore by it. And so I really like, I don't know, I just like can see myself cutting off that part of me. Mm-hmm. Like 
I can't keep loving this person who's incapable of loving me. If I can, just I think that's really what's going on, this temptation to amputate in any area of our life. It's self-protection. Yeah. It's because it hurts too much. Yeah. It's, be- it's because we actually love too much. Mm. And not in a negative way, like, oh, rain it in too much. But because we have so much love, there's like kind of a shame around it or a sadness when it's unmet or unseen. And so to protect that love, to protect ourselves, mm. it's not because, I mean, I'm sure there's like anger and disappointment. There are things that work in there, but... It really comes from like a very innocent place of like a child trying to protect themselves. Totally. But I can see just as you were telling that story, I can see how my amputation of Mike, of like the the sacrament of marriage from my heart, just me kind of cutting it off emotionally, cut off so much of my love in my life. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend the other day about this time in my life where I was struggling so much in our marriage and I was really imagining myself being with someone else or my life would look so much better if I had XYZ in another marriage or with another person. And I was so shocked that I never thought about my kids. Mm. Like I, through all of those months of like escaping in my head and having this whole other imaginary life, I never considered my kids in that. Well, I just think it, it speaks to that cutting off of love that I did not even love them enough to like not entertain these thoughts in my head because oh, I was like so amputated from my marriage. Anyway, I could see how because I had given up, mm-hmm. I had lived so resigned that Mike was just going to be like this forever that I had lost all hope. So that's just a little part of, of my story. Again, when I when I hear you share yours, and I'm so grateful for your vulnerability there, but I'm sure all of us have something that we've been resigned to, potentially amputated. I just feel like we hit the jackpot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sort of like basking in the light of this new revelation that surrender cannot happen without hope. Mm. Like if you don't have hope, if you're just holding this thing out to the Lord, like, please, God, please, 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 please. <laughs> you know, like, I trust you. Here it is. Here it is. But if there's no hope, you're going to be constantly not preoccupied, but obsessed and yeah. like taking back control all the time because you don't have hope that it'll happen. You may have the desire to surrender, but you you still don't believe that he will do it. Yeah. So ultimately, it's still up to you, you know? Totally. Yeah. After I've seen Mike be healed from his anxiety and us overcome a lot anytime like anything else happens in our marriage now I have an incredible amount of hope Mm. that whatever mess he's got going on whatever mess I've got going on we are overcomers Mm -hmm. and so there's a beautiful surrender now to Mm. not have to control Mike when he's having an issue of some kind, whether it be with anxiety or something else, Mm -hmm. because there's a deep hope I have and trust Mm -hmm. that the Lord will see us through. It's easier to trust because he's already done it. Right. And so that trust that like his faithfulness in the past is applied in trust as like a down payment on the thing that you're you're trusting him for now. Yeah. And I think too, that's not only true of 
our own life and our own history with the Lord, like having to go back into the bank of what he's done in order to remember like, oh, I can trust him. But I think it also comes when we hear other people's story. Absolutely. It's so hopeful to hear, you know, from another single woman who got married older, you know, or someone else who's been through a difficult marriage issue. I think surrender, we don't have to do it in isolation. We don't have to do it in our own strength. I think the Lord does give us help, encouragement, like energy to trust, to surrender through the hope of other people's stories. Totally. Yeah. That's why I think it's so important when you share about your history of pornography and all of that that we've shared multiple times and we'll get into later in the season also. But gosh, the hope that you give to people when you share that testimony Mm. to say, I can be free of this. Like for someone to have that realization that freedom is within their reach, Mm -hmm. shifts mindsets, shifts hearts, shifts faith. And that's actually what happened to Mike with his anxiety was someone said to him, you can be healed. Mm. And he had never considered that. Yeah. No one had ever said that to him. Wow. And so it it did that. It inflamed a hope in him. Mm-hmm. And gosh, it just changes everything. Again, this is still kind of a new thought to me. Like I had never really considered until you mentioned to me like the way that I have grown into trust and surrender about my vocation. Like I'd never really considered how much time played a role in that. It's crazy. Yeah. Like I remember wanting to go on a retreat and not even surrender it or give it up, but like wanting an answer just Mm. so I can find basically still that like that temptation to amputate of like, tell me if this isn't it so Mm. I can stop caring about it. Yeah. Tell me if this, if this desire is wrong so that I can curb it and I can like go into a religious community. I just feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but no, I'm, I'm kind of just struck by how long it takes yeah. to surrender. Hmm. And I do believe that every time we give God a yes, like we enjoy the intimacy of that. He's so delighted by that, but we are surely going to come to the next place like, oh, there's like a deeper hmm. Yes, that Mm -hmm. I haven't given here yet. Or like, oh, I hadn't considered it from that angle. Guess I have to surrender that part too. You know what I mean? Totally. Can I tell you my other favorite line from this poem? Yeah. Her only light is in the creed that she is not alone. Wow. What does that mean to you? Well, before that, it says, hence all her paths are mystery. Presaging. We don't know what that means. A divine unknown. Her only light is in the creed that she is not alone. We can be in this time of confusion. I was in years of confusion. You've been, I'm sure, felt confused or wondering. And it's a mystery, like you said. Yeah. Just like this says, all her paths are mystery. Mm -hmm. But our only light is in the truth that we are not alone. That's just unreal to me. Do you know what else gives me just a ton of hope from this one? What? The spirit lights the way for her. Bramble and brush are pushed apart. He lures her into wilderness, but to rejoice her heart. I think we so often misunderstand pain, yeah, waiting, mm. longing. We view our wildernesses, our deserts, as a punishment, as a loneliness, right? Something to be endured. 
instead of understanding the gift of it, the invitation into intimacy of it, yeah, the delight of being alone with the Lord in the wilderness with the thing that we're clinging to <laughs> the most and that moment of even just a little more surrender, a little more acceptance of where we are, all because we're not alone. I think that's where it becomes delight. Yeah. Well, I think for me, again, just practically speaking about our marriage and that darkness in in our lives, I felt so alone. Like I felt like no one else had a cruddy time in marriage and Mm -hmm. could ever understand what I was going through. I would never speak out loud these things that I was feeling inside ever. Yeah. I've shared previously that a friend just like spoke life into me into at that time in our lives and shared her own testimony of her darkness in marriage. And in that reminded me that I'm not only alone because I have the Lord who I had already lost sight of, Mm. right? Like doing all of this imagining about things outside of the sacrament of marriage led me farther and farther away from the Lord Mm. and into a darker place. So not only was, was I feeling totally alone from anyone understanding me, but from the Lord himself. So that's why I love that, Mm -hmm. uh, to remind you that you are not alone in whatever you're waiting for, longing for, but also that I wasn't alone in this experience. Wow, yeah. That there are others who have waited and longed and overcame, and that God, who is strong and mighty, (laughs) is with me and he will get us through Mm -hmm. and that meant everything to me so she just gave me a lot of hope that day I think that's where real surrender comes like you said there's hope in it so if you're wondering what the secret sauce to surrender is I think we just solved it that was that's the title the secret sauce of surrender surrender. yeah I think it would just be beautiful and I think there's like a real opportunity here to Ask the Lord to fan the flame of our own hope. Because no matter how hard I try <laughs> to cut it off, it was always just still there burning away. We want to let it grow. Mm. Only the Lord can can really do that. I'm thinking about that scripture in Isaiah, like a smoldering wick. He will not quench. Wow. He's not going to put out the flame of your hope. Mm. You know, he's not going to punish you for having hope. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, you're so gentle. Mm. You're so loving. Mm. I ask you to to come and look at this little flame of hope in each of us. Mm. Come and attend to it. Lord, sometimes we're so tempted to put out the light, Mm. to resign Mm. instead of surrender. I pray against um, any spirit of hopelessness, Mm. any despair, I pray, I ask you in faith, God, pray that you'd protect any woman who wants to give up, Mm. any spirit of depression or suicide, all spirits associated with hopelessness, cast you out. We renounce, reject, and rebuke any of these spirits that may be hindering us from trusting you, from surrendering our lives, Mm. our vocation our dreams and desires to you. And we ask you, Jesus, to come fan into flame 
the gift of hope, the virtue of hope, that you would block the winds that are trying to quench that little flame and put it out. With your own body, God, would you stand in the way so that this hope could grow and would give light not only to ourselves, to our own souls, but that we would be a light for others, hope for others. We trust you, Jesus. We make that act of faith again today. We renew our trust today. Jesus, we trust in you. No matter how long it takes, no matter how it looks, we trust in you. You're worthy of our trust. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We love you guys. We're praying for you. Sure are. See you next time. Bye-bye.